Stephanie Thornton, A Secret History, A Novel of Empress Theodora, Part 1. A.D. I am she whom one honors and disdains. I am the saint and the prostitute. I am the virgin and the wife. I am knowledge and ignorance. I am strength and I am fear. I am godless, and I am the greatness of God. 5th century AD Gnostic hymn from Nagamadi, Egypt. Chapter 1. The 26th year of the reign of Emperor Anastasius. My life began the night death visited our house. I lay on the straw pallet with my sisters and listened to Komato grinding her teeth and Anastasia breathing evenly in the dark. An animal snorted in the distance, probably the scraggly new bear father had acquired to train for the greens, a beast scarce fit for the spectacle of the hippodrome. I scratched my stomach and I poked Komato none too gently. The fleas were bad tonight and Constantinople's sticky heat made the stench of the nearby garbage heap especially pugnant. I missed our old home in Cyprus, the salty smell of the Mediterranean and the cicadas buzzing amidst the olive trees. Our ramshackle house near Constantinople's amphitheater could scarcely compare. There was a shuffle in the dark, possibly a rat, but then my father grunted, Quiet, Acacius, my mother giggled. You'll wake the girls. <sighs> she gave a little moan as I snuggled into Anastasia's bare back, hoping for more dreams like last night's fantasy of a roasted goat with mint yogurt. Komato claimed I had made cow eyes at the butcher's son when mother sent us to collect our monthly grain ration earlier today, but in truth, I was more impressed with the fresh leg of goat hanging from his stall than the cut of his calves under his tunic. It seemed like years since we had had meat. Acacius, my mother's voice woke me, the same tone she used when my father came home after too much wine in the boar's eye. There was another sound, a thud, like a sack of flour hitting the ground. Acacius, mama, I opened my eyes. My father was face down on their pallet, arms crumpled like twigs under his bulk. My mother struggled to move him. Help me, Theodora. The chip mosaic blossom scratched my knee as I helped shove him onto his back. Anastasia whimpered in the moonlight. Cold sweat covered my father's skin as he opened and closed his mouth like a mackerel freshly pulled from the Bosporus, fingers plucking the neck of his tunic. My mother clutched his hand to her chest. You stay right here, Acacius. She rifled through a little cedar box with her free hand, the one with our scant supply of spices and medicines. Willow bark and chamomile filled my nose as Komato rubbed her eyes and Anastasia crawled into my lap, thumb in her mouth, and her wooden doll tucked tight under her arm. It squinted at me through its charcoal smudge of an eye. My father looked from me to Mama to my sisters, and his tongue lurched in his mouth as if he were trying to speak. Death has many sounds, the shrieks of men crushed by a chariot in the hippodrome, the final rattle of ancient lungs, 
or the gentle sigh of child ravaged by creeping sickness. My giant of a father only gurgled like an infant, and then went still. We sat in silence for a moment. Then mother screamed and pummeled my father with tiny fists, dusting his chest with the yellow ash of crushed herbs. No! Tears streamed down her face. No! Get up! She collapsed to his chest, golden curls covering him like a burial shroud as her body heaved with sobs. Departing this life in the throes of passion is as good a way as any to go, but I could not fathom my father greeting St. Peter now. I clung to Anastasia as my tears fell onto her hair. Don't be sad, Dora. She traced my cheeks with fingers still sticky from the honeycomb cups and that we had eaten before bed. But her chin wobbled as my mother wailed louder. My little sister slid from my lap and touched Mama's shoulder. <laughs> she jerked back as Komatov added her voice to the howls. I pulled Anastasia to me and tucked us into the crook of my father's arm, savoring his fleeting warmth. My father was dead. Never again would he carry Anastasia on his shoulders to see the zebras before a show, or tease Komato until her tips of her ears turned red. We would never be wrapped in an elephant hug that smelled of the wild rosemary he constantly chewed, or the ever-present animal musk that clung to his skin even after he had come home from the baths. I didn't know how long we listened to one another's tears, but his body grew stiff and clammy before I could rouse myself. He would have to be buried soon before his flesh began to decay. I touched my mother's back, but she jerked away as if stunned, still draped over my father. I said, the sun will soon rise. And I rubbed my eyes with the back of my hand. We have to purify him. She stumbled to her feet, hair veiling her eyes. No, I won't, her hands fluttering in the air. I can't. She slammed the door behind her, followed by a surly thump on our ceiling from the Syrian neighbors above. Raucous laughter from a nearby tavern floated to our apartment, the high thrill of a woman and the throaty baritone of a man who had likely paid for her services for the night. I stared at the shaft of silvery light that had swallowed my mother, torn between the urge to follow her or to stay with my father's body. What should we do, Coma, to wipe her puffy eyes? She was older than me by two years, but looked far younger in the moonlight. Anastasia sucked her thumb, reached out and touched our father's cheek with her little hand. It was more than I could bear. Go, I said, gather flowers. But it's dark out, Komoda hated the dark. She still liked to fall asleep with an olive oil burning, olive oil lamp burning, although she claimed it was for Anastasia. I pressed a frayer basket to her hand. As Anastasia whimpered, the lion will eat us if we go outside, she said, her eyes big as plums. I would have laughed. My father had been telling Anastasia myths from the Golden Age, most recently acting out the story of the Nemean lion falling from the moon. But instead I blinked hard and tweaked her nose. Silly goose, Heracles slew the lion. You will be perfectly safe. I bent down to whisper in her ear, and you are much scarier than any lion when you growl. She bared her teeth and made claws with her hands, her little mouth opening in an adorable roar. 
I swallowed hard and dropped a kiss on her head. Go, help Comato pick a pretty posy, and find Uncle Anastasius. My voice quavered as I spoke to Comato. He needs to bring a priest. They left, and I was alone. I should not have been alone. This was my mother's job. I didn't know how to purify a body, how to purify my father so he could pass to the afterlife. But there was no one else. My hands trembled as I struck the flame of our oil lamp and rummaged through our lone trunk past my father's ivory backgammon set with its missing piece and the worn codex of Homer's Song of Ilium. I tossed up Mother's saffron wedding veil before I finally found what I was looking for, a single bottle of olive oil pressed from our own trees in Cyprus. I tried not to cry, but I had to set the bottle down to wipe the stream of snot and tears from my face. And once that started, I could not seem to stop. I didn't hear my mother return until she gathered me into her arms, the hot smell of wine on her breath as she pressed her lips to my forehead. Together we readied my father. She washed his body and redressed him in his green tunic, and my uneven stitches sewed him into his brown cloak until only his face and the splayed toes of his feet showed the better to allow the angels to examine him and determine his fitness for paradise. He looked asleep, and I prayed that he might sit up and roar with laughter because we had fallen for another of his jokes. And yet God was deaf to my prayers. Mirror choked the air, and the sun had almost heaved itself over the horizon when Comato arrived with the priest and Uncle Asterius. Anastasia asleep in his arms with her thumb tucked in her mouth. He wasn't really our uncle, but our father's boss. As leader of the Green Faction, he was also one of Constantinople's most powerful politicians. He draped an arm around my mother. You have my deepest condolences, Zenobia. He crooned something into her ear that made her blanch white, but then he looked at us and gave a terse nod. Uncle, and uncle Asterius swept me into a hug that smelled of the lavender used to sweeten his linen. Poor child, he said, everything is going to be all right. Even then, I knew that to be a lie. <clears throat> the funeral began in the thin morning light as Uncle Asterius' bleary-eyed slaves hefted the greenwood coffin onto their shoulders. My father's circus whip and pitchfork nestled beside him. Yawning shopkeepers crossed themselves as we made our way to the cedar-lined path that led to the cemetery outside the gate of Chariosius. The air stunk like rotten fish. Compliments of the nearby Garl's factories forced outside the city walls with their vats of fermenting fish sauce. The flowers my sisters had picked at the banks of the Lycus River, daisies, blue crocuses, violets, and scraggly yellow poppies, They'd already begun to wilt over the sides of the box, and the calm hymns of the lone priest babbled with the mournful dirges sung by a professional mourner paid by Uncle Asterius. We recited a truncated version of the divine liturgy and each kissed the rough wooden cross the priest held over the coffin before accepting a square of dry bread and a sip of fusca, the wine watery and sour only the poor would drink. My mother's hands trembled violently as she struggled to cut a lock of my father's hair, and the tears ran unchecked down her cheeks. 
and I took the knife from her. I stared at the blade and ran my thumb down its edge, transfixed by the furrow of blood that dropped onto my father's rough brown shroud. One swift cut, and I could join him, free myself from grief's jagged teeth. Two dark eyes stopped me. Anastasia wiped her nose on her sleeve and took my hand in her own little one, kissing the tip of my thumb above the blood. You hurt yourself, Dora. Are you going to die, too? I shook my head, the words tangled in my throat. It would be cowardly to abandon my family. I had many faults. Komato was always quick to point out my temper and snitch on me when I lied. But I was no coward. Family was all that we had. I managed to cut a lock of my father's dark hair, identical to my own, and folded it into my palm, mingling my blood with the black strands. My mother fell to her knees and refused to rise long after the slaves tucked him into the red earth. We were alone in Constantinople. No money swirled away under a pallet and no way to provide for ourselves. I'd have promised God anything then to have our old lives back. Unfortunately, our new lives were just beginning. The food in our cupboard finally ran out a week later. I picked the weevils from our bag of barley flour. It was still a quarter full, and we were entitled to a free bread ration at one of the city's public bakeries, but Anastasia's stomach growled so I could hear it across the room, and she cried for milk, now as much a luxury as pearls. I went to beg from one of our neighbors, an elderly widow who kept a brown and white nanny goat on the third floor. Your man should go to the patriarch, said the woman as she took olive wood cut from my hand. They'll give her bread tokens and some dried food, usually apricots. Sometimes they have blankets, medicine too. The warm milk squirted into the cup and my stomach rumbled. Tisn't much, but it's something. I couldn't tell the old woman that my mother's sometime habit of overindulging in her wine was now the norm, and that the sickly sweet smell of poppy juice had become her new perfume. Today, I'd come home to find Anastasia crumpled on the floor, her face as red as a radish, with tears cutting swaths down her dirty cheeks. The poor thing had soiled herself while my mother lay on her pallet, arm flung over her face, so I feared that she was dead too until I felt the dull throb of blood in her neck. I cursed her for abandoning us when we needed her most. I cursed the world. I cursed God. I would have to get food myself. It took me half the afternoon to find the church, only to be told by the priest that my mother had to claim the monthly stipend allowed by the widow's battalion. That wasn't going to happen any time soon. I wove my way down the wide cobbles of the Meze, the middle street, toward the main market, but I was forced to wait as a gilded sedan carried by eight bearded Lombard slaves lumbered down the street. The outline of a woman shone through delicate silk curtains. Well, the Chiara of some grand villa from the look of her, probably married to a senator and richer than God. I wanted to do more than see her. I wanted to be her. That little daydream abruptly ended as one of her slaves stomped a puddle of horse piss and who knew what else, splashed my sandals and tunic with filth. Time to pull my head from the sky. We needed food. 
At least a dozen languages swarmed around me as I entered the chaos of the food market, mostly Greek, but a smattering of Latin, in addition to what sounded like Coptic, Armenian, and possibly Syriac. A man wearing a string of cold sausages around his neck passed me a pot of garros in his hand as he dipped and ate the meats, licking his greasy fingers. Under a rickety wooden stall, two pigeons tussled over a bruised and spoiling cabbage leaf, and I was tempted to swipe it from them. My eyes roved over wheels of cheese wrapped in bristly pigskins, rainbows of spices and brown baskets, and crates of gossiping chickens to linger on a wooden cart with a charcoal brazier manned by a merchant with sweat dripping down his bare and rather hairy chest. Strips of land sizzled on the coals, and there was even a suckling pig roasting, probably pre-ordered for some senator's feast after the chariot races tonight. My stomach rumbled, but I couldn't very well hide dripping hot meats down the front of my tunic. My heart hammered up my spine. I'd never stolen anything in my life. I had never needed to. Theft was a sin. But I hope might I hope that God might look the other way if I stole our dinner this once. After all, it was his fault that we were in this predicament. The Copton stall beckoned. The flaky pastries drizzled with honey and almonds, making my stomach groan with a vengeance. But I settled on a cart of plump bocalatin, watched by a man with heavy eyes. The bread was sprinkled with sesame seeds and golden brown, not the cheap kind mixed with ash that we were sometimes forced to buy. Anastasia liked the ring shapes. They made excellent bracelets, and bread was more practical to lift than most anything else. I pretended to browse through a pile of apricots, sniffed one, and set it down. The Bocalatin vendor was a slave with thick, dimpled arms dusted with flour. A woman dressed in a plain white tunic was, and accessorized by half a dozen children caught his attention as she swatted a boy out of her way and motioned to a small mountain of barley loaves piled on the ground. The slave turned his back to me. Sometimes God does work miracles. I swiped two loaves and ran as if the cobbles were on fire. My heart pounded in my ears as I clutched the precious bread. I had done it! The fabric of my shoulder tore as someone whipped me around so fast the loaves tumbled from my hands. I don't suppose you forgot to pay for those. The slave towered over me, eyes wide awake now, as his lips curled back in a sneer of perfectly straight teeth. His face was a map of pockmarked old scars and white flakes sprinkled his greasy hair. Therefore, my mother and sisters, I said, scrambling to pick up the bread. I wasn't fast enough. One golden ring was trampled under the crowd's feet, and the other was snatched by a boy far nimbler than myself. My father died. I don't care if your whole family keeled over the plague. He grabbed a handful of my hair and dragged me back towards the booth. I yelped, and people stopped to stare. But they must have decided a tussle between a slave and a dirty pleb girl wasn't worth their time. The man hauled me back to his stall and motioned to the vendor next to him. Cotter, he said. Pretty little wench, the other man said. He gave a phlegmy cough and stirred a giant pod of boiled cabbage, young though. I tipped my chin, ready to argue that I had seen thirteen years, but the slave's eyes roved over me. I added lying to my list of sins. I've had eleven summers. 
Old enough to learn the ways of the world, the bearded vendor said. He looked around for something, but then unfastened the belt of his tunic. I struggled to get away, but he used the belt to tie my wrists tight behind me and loop the leather through one of the wheels of his cart. Can't have you running away before I figure out what your punishment will be, now can I? My mother and sisters are waiting for me. Shut up, said the slave. Females don't speak unless spoken to. I tried to kick him, but he stomped my ankle. I decided to do as I was told for once. It took the better part of an hour for the slave to sell the rest of his master's bread. The sky darkened around puffs of pink clouds and a rainbow of glass lanterns lit the market and the hippodrome beckoned the crowd like a pretty young whore on the docks. Finally, the slave blew the crumbs from his cart and scowled as he untied me. He beckoned to his fat friend as he yanked me to my feet. Aeneas, watch the cart for a minute. A minute's probably all you're going to need, Aeneas laughed and waggled his bushy eyebrows at me. I hadn't noticed the little alley behind the soup stall until the bearded slave pushed me into its blackness, one of the spaces in the city cursed with permanent darkness. He fumbled with something as a rat scurried over my foot. I stepped back, thinking to run, but was greeted by a cold stone wall. The slave grabbed me by my hair. You owe me, girl. He was naked from the waist down. The thong that held his undergarments in place unstrapped beneath his paludamentum. I tried to shove him away, but he pulled my tunic with his free hand. Some of my hair came loose as I wrenched my head to the side and bit his hand, feeling the skin separate between my teeth and tasting the copper tang of his blood. He yelled and punched me to the ground, filling my head with an explosion of white, followed by an eclipse of black as my tunic was shoved up around my waist, something hard prodding between my legs. I wrestled one hand free and shoved my fingers as far as I could down my throat. There wasn't much in my stomach, but what there was came up all over him. By the dog, he loosened his hold enough that I managed to twist away. I didn't look back, but ran as fast as my legs could carry me. You filthy, scrabbly slut! Hang yourself on the cross! I tore past the soup stall and kept running, dodging people as they shouted and shook their fists at me a froth of laughter and sobs bubbling from my throat. I found my way home, stopping only to wash myself in a public fountain as water spewed from the mouth of a giant scowling fish. Two drunks whistled as I peeled my tunic from my skin and washed the vomit from my chest. But I focused on the cool, clean water as I washed away the evidence of my stupidity. Tonight couldn't get any worse. I was wrong, of course. All hope of cajoling my mother from her bed evaporated when I walked in the door. She was still on her pallet, but no longer surrounded by wine fumes or passed out in a fog of poppy juice. Instead, she was very much awake, legs wrapped tight around a naked man as he pounded into her, her nails digging into the bare flesh of his hairy back. I slammed the door and slid down the wall of our building, hiding my face in my knees. I had left quickly but not so fast as to miss my mother's sharp glance or see the man, a complete stranger to me. I stared at the dust, fingers plunged as far into my ears as I could make them go, yet not far enough to muffle all the sounds I did not wish to hear. I would have left, 
but I didn't want my sisters to come home and stumble into what I had just witnessed. The man emerged some time later, wiped his head, shiny and speckled like a plover's egg, and straightened his tunic. He was startled to see me. Oh, oh you must be Theodora. I am Vitus. As if that explained everything. I wanted life to return to the way it was a month ago, when the ground under my feet had been solid, but time was not so obliging. Vitus gave me an indecipherable look when I didn't speak, and then turned and shuffled off, his step a little too jaunty for my liking. Theodora, come here. My mother was dressed in her old tunic, staring at my father's scratched backgammon game on the table, her eyes empty pools of darkness. I stepped inside as she slammed the game to the floor, splintering the wood and scattering the ivory pieces like an army of drunken ants. One rolled to my toe and came to a stop. I almost stormed back out the door, but my fury got the better of me. How could you? Father would die another death if he could see you now. She leveled a glare at me that could have frozen the fires of Gehenna. Do you think I wanted to sleep with that filthy ox? Well, it certainly looked as if you were enjoying it. She lunged from the table, her arm raised to slap me. I steeled myself for the blow, but her hand fell back to her side. Of course that's how it looked. I have to keep a roof over our heads. She swallowed hard and walked back to the table, knocked the wax seal off of an amphora of wine and guzzled what little was left of it. Wiping her mouth with the back of her hand, she gave a dry chuckle. <laughs> Sometimes things don't work out quite the way we planned. She waved me forward and enveloped me in a hug. I had to force myself not to pull away from her. Her skin reeked of the filthy man. Vitus is the new bear keeper for the greens. That was my father's job. So you're whoring for him? I asked. In a manner of sorts, she said, yes. I married him. The ground caught me as my knees buckled. It was then that I noticed the clump of saffron next to my mother's palate, her wedding veil. You'd marry him before the grass has a chance to grow on her father's grave, a man that you don't even know? This house belongs to Vitus now. I love your father, fiercely. But I can marry Vitus and keep our home and the grain dole, or I can refuse and we starve on the streets. Asterius was very clear about that the night that your father died. Fortunately, well, Vitus was easy to persuade. Of course he was. My mother was, my mother was at least half of his age. She told me, we women are the pawns of men, Theodora. The sooner you learn that, the better. The ground beneath my feet wouldn't hold steady today. I wanted to cry, the stream, to scream at the same time. There has to be some other way. There isn't, she said, and slammed the terracotta jug on the table. I'm too old for the taverns. So unless you and Komito plan to take up a room, where is Komito? I needed to steer the conversation to safer waters. My mother's hands uh, flitted in the air. Oh, I can't be bothered to keep track of your sister. Anastasia is upstairs with the Syrians. She caressed my cheek. I know this is hard, but your father would understand. We have to survive. 
She passed me the remnants of her wedding meal. No boiled greens with garo sauce, spugata of eggs, cheese, or honey cakes, but a thick slice of crusty brown bread to symbolize their future prosperity. It was stale. The bald man Vitus came home after I'd picked up Anastasius, and we'd swept up the backgammon set and dropped it in the trash behind our building. Vitus stunk of a taverna, although my mother's breath smelled more of wine than his. My new father's chin was soft, and one black hair curled around the outside of his nostril like a spider's leg. This man likely counted today as a blessing. I still thought it a curse. I bought a gift for you and your sisters, he said. It's not much, but I thought you might enjoy the treat. He handed me a dried mallow leaf envelope stuffed with almonds, spiced with garlic and pepper. My stomach growled. I handed the gift to Anastasia. She shoved several of the nuts into her mouth like a starving squirrel. Perhaps this man wasn't the devil, only one of his minions. Thank you, I said. I covered my ears that night as Vitus grunted like a rutting pig on my mother's palate. He took so long, I escaped with Anastasia outside to sleep in front of our door next to the half-full urn of urine for the fullers to collect the next morning. The air was still warm, and it was certainly more tolerable outside than in. Komito traipsed home in the middle of the night, smelling like cheap rose water and something else I couldn't place. Holy mother of God, she said. I almost stepped on you. I might have broken your neck. What a pity, I said, rolling over. What are you doing out here? It's not that hot. She moved to open the door, but her face contorted as she heard what I had been trying to avoid. Did I miss something, she asked. She had no idea. Komito continued to disappear to God only knew where, and I learned to follow suit spending my afternoons roaming the markets along the Mesa and imagining I had the coins to buy gems from Asia, Persian silks and spices, the Baltic amber. More in our price range were the jars of leeches and senna and licorice root for constipation, both of which mother sent me to fetch for Vitas. I spent countless hours in the engraver's market, um, curled up amongst its ever-present cats, while I read Ovid and tried to make out Ptolemy's theories on the workings of the universe until my head hurt, and the merchants realized I had no money and chased me away. I watched men stop and stare at Komato as she dodged her way around the stalls. God had gifted my sister with my mother's thick mane of golden hair and blue eyes, rimmed with lashes long as a camel's. Unfortunately, she had the brain of a rabbit, not a very intelligent rabbit. Theodora, she grabbed my arm, her cheeks flushed. I've been looking everywhere for you. Uncle Asterius turned us out. What? He fired Vitus and hired a new master of the bears. I don't know why. I grabbed Komato's hand and pushed our way through the streets toward the hippodrome and our building. A melon vendor shouted curses to make a horror blush as I shoved a customer with an overripe muskmelon out of my way, feeling the juice splatter my legs as the fruit crashed to the cobbles. Komato was right. Our scant belongings had already been dumped outside our door by the time we got there. I opened my mouth to ask my mother what had happened, but two angry voices coming from the alley next to the boar's eye stopped me. 
Make sure I never see you again if you value your life. I won that job. I, you can't fire me. I crept closer to see Asterius Avitus, practically nose to nose. My stepfather's face red as a freshly stewed beet. Asterius pushing Vitus back with a finger on his chest. You should have stayed content shoveling manure in the stables, but you've used this opportunity to spout that monophysite drivel denying Christ's humanity to anyone who will listen. Everyone knows religion is bad for business. I'll report you to the council, said my stepfather. Asterius gave a fearsome grin. <laughs> the council and I are both of the opinion that monophysites are heretics better suited to the fires of Gehenna than to the sacred sands of the Hippodrome. Vitus remained rooted to his spot, clenching and unclenching his fists, and then he stormed off in the opposite direction, his worn leather boots kicking up little puffs of dust. I wished him good riddance, except that without him, we were back where we started. Uncle Asterius, I shrugged my mother's hand off my shoulder and stepped from the shadows. Our house, he whirled on me, belongs to the Greens. Find someone else to take up your charity case. You can't do that. We're not citizens yet. We won't even qualify for the grain ration without an address in the city. He kept walking, kicked up a crate of, I kicked a crate of rotting fish heads and stubbed my toe hard. I hobbled back to my family, hoisted Anastasia onto my hip, she was heavy as a bag of turnips as she snuggled into my neck, her breath warm on my skin. I'm hungry, she whimpered. I looked at my mother crouching on the ground and Anastasia with her oily ringlets and thick tears welling in her eyes. Komato bit her lip, a sure sign she was about to turn on the waterworks. I forced a smile for Anastasia, rubbing her nose in mine. You're always hungry, you silly goose. I was at an utter loss. We had nothing to sell and no skills. Vitus rejoined us. As a monophysite, he was no better than a pagan, but he was all that we had. I, I'll take care of us. He sounded as sure of himself as the rest of us felt. How? I asked. Don't be pert, girl. One of the stables will hire me. We'll just have to wait until morning. My mother's lips were tight. And where do we sleep tonight? No one had an answer. Well, the green stables, I said. You've lost your mind, girl, Vita said. If Asterius found us, he won't find us. I stared him down, hands on my hips. I wished I were a little taller so I didn't have to look at his nose. There are no games tonight, right? No. Then he won't be there. And it's better than the public latrines. Well, no one could argue with that. Vitus did not find a job that day, nor the next, or the day after that. I mustered the courage to pinch a loaf of twice-baked bread one day, this time from a stall run by a woman, and Komito managed to magically to produce a ring of garlic sausages um, after one of her disappearances, but it wasn't enough. Mother grew ill-tempered when the wine ran out. Anastasia whimpered through the days and even into her sleep. The sixth day she fell silent, a, frighteningly a frightening lethargy settling into her limbs. Not even her one-eyed doll or a round of kingdoms game with, with her as empress and Komoto and me as her maids could rouse her. Something had to be done. 
The four of us sat in the shade of the triumphal arc of the, the form of Theodosius, listening to the racket of squeals of men yelling at the nearby swine market. Vitus had already pawned everything we owned, even our sandals and my mother's saffron veil, and had gone back to the blues to beg for a position, but none of us thought that he returned with any good news. My mother's voice was scarcely a whisper, yet the sound of it made me jump. A laurel crown. Emperors wore laurel crowns on parades through the city, but for a plebeian to don the crown meant only one thing. No, I said. I had nothing left in this life, but to be reduced to begging left a bitter taste in my mouth. There was always piles of beggars outside the hippodrome before big races. Mothers with laps of filthy children, ostrogoth soldiers missing limbs, and the occasional blind man with no family or political connections to take care of him, all wearing bedraggled laurel crowns. It was a sort of pre-game entertainment to spit at the beggars instead of dropping a copper nomini into their open palms. And today was the 1st of September, the start of the new year, and the celebration of Constantine's founding of Rome's new eastern capital, known in ancient times as Byzantium, almost 200 years ago. The Hippodrome would overflow its stands. A lifetime of begging was not what I had envisioned for my future. And yet, I kissed my mother's cheek and gave Anastasia butterfly kisses, wishing she would giggle and gift me with one of her precious smiles. Instead, she lay lifeless as her doll. Komato and I will take care of everything, I said, not looking my mother in the eyes. Meet us outside the boar's eye after the races tonight. I would save us or, or ruin us. God help us if I failed.